0: Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Podcast. I'm Julia LaRoche, and I sat down with Blackstone's head of real estate, John Gray. This is our entire interview. I hope you enjoy. Private equity giant Blackstone is the world's largest real estate investor with $104 billion in assets under management. We're joined now by Blackstone's head of real estate, John Gray. John, thank you so much for being here.
1: Great to be here.
0: Well, before we get into the trends and then some of the work you're doing, specifically in terms of the advancement of women, let's talk a bit about how you got here.
1: Okay, Um, I've got a really boring bio. Uh, I grew up in suburban Chicago. I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and in a two-week period of time my senior year, I met a woman in romantic poetry class, and I got a job working for a small investment advisory firm. And here we are, that was February of 1992, I'm with the same woman we now have four children two of whom are in college themselves and i'm still at the same firm blackstone so pretty simple
0: so you've been part of that huge growth story for the last 26 years
1: yeah it's really been incredible when i joined it was on the corporate side uh doing private equity and m a and then early on pete peterson and steve Schwartzman, who founded blackstone saw there was an opportunity in real estate there was a crisis back then And they got some senior people, and they needed some junior people. And somebody said to me, hey, do you want to do this? And so I got to really grow up with this business from its very earliest days. It started as a small business, buying small individual properties, went to larger properties. And then over time, we started buying some very big public companies uh, to where the point we are today being the largest owner and investor in real estate.
0: Now, not only are you the largest owner and investor in real estate, but you're also making waves in terms of this um, what's been historically a male-dominated field, you've been really um, you've been taking initiative to promote and advance women. So can you talk to us about um, some of those initiatives there?
1: Sure. So when it comes to women, uh, like a lot of firms in finance and investment and real estate, uh, women were underrepresented at our firm. And about five years ago, we sat around uh, and under the leadership of Joan Solitar, who sits on our management c- committee, we said, what can we do to rectify this? If we're in the investing business, we want to have as much talent as possible, and not choosing people from almost half the population doesn't make a lot of sense. And what we said is we can't do this quickly. we got to start at the ground up, and we got to get more women to come in, starting at a junior level, and work, them way, work their way up the system. So we started by going out to colleges, talking to women as early as sophomore year, attracting more women to come uh, during our summer programs as well and also when they got to the firm saying hey we need networking we need a mentor program we want to create a place where people really want to come to work and that's made a difference so at this point we have almost 40 percent of our new analyst hires who are women up from less than 20 percent in my area Uh, We've got in the managing director category, we've almost doubled the number of women in our portfolio companies. We're hiring some terrific senior women as CEOs and on our boards. So we're making progress. We're not perfect. We've got a long way to go. But we focused on this, and we're proud of what we've done so far.
0: You know, this is a topic that has been coming up frequently in corporate America. Why is it so important
1: I think it's important, uh, one, because it's obviously the right thing to do, but two, you know women bring a different perspective. You know the investment business is how can I see something? How can I see the risks? How can I see the opportunities? And women see things differently than men. They have a different experience. It's the same reason you want to attract talent on a global basis. You want people who can look at things. There's a marketplace of ideas. There's a marketplace of talent. You want the very best. So from a purely business standpoint, it's obviously a positive. Plus, I think it makes for a better culture as well. And it certainly proves so at Blackstone.
0: And this matters to you personally. Why?
1: Yeah. Well, as the father of four daughters, I want my daughters to have the same kind of opportunities that young men have. I want them to think maybe they'll go into the investment field or the real estate field like their dad. Don't know, but it would be fun if they did that. My mother was an entrepreneur herself. Um, I've seen capable women in business, and there's no reason there shouldn't be more opportunity.
0: Now, you've also addressed this issue with some of your portfolio companies. Can you give us some um, insight there?
1: Sure, so in our portfolio companies at Blackstone, we control some great businesses. And again, we're looking for the best talent. So in our shopping center business that we have a big stake in called Eden's, Jody McLean, who's a talented executive, became CEO a couple years ago. We own one of the largest office platforms in the US called Equity Office. This year we made Lisa Picard, another very talented executive, the CEO on the Hilton board where I have the good fortune to chair. Uh, We hired four talented women on our board, which has been super helpful there as well. So again, we've got a long way to go, but we've made some real progress.
0: Well, it's certainly great to see that. Um, Now let's talk about some real estate trends. What are you seeing out there right now?
1: So the real estate business, specifically here in the US, commercial real estate, we've been in a great run, really since the bottom in 2010. Values have gone up a lot. Um, cap rates or unleveraged yields for real estate are low. There's no real distress. So from that standpoint, as an investor, you say maybe that makes you a little bit cautious. On the positive side, however, there isn't a lot of building in real estate today. Um, New supply is about half of what it was back in 07. There's not a lot of excessive debt out there, which was the problem back prior to the previous crisis. And it doesn't feel like we're on the verge of a recession. The economy is actually doing fairly well. So when you boil that together, what it leads you to conclude is real estate won't be as strong as it was, let's say, four or five years ago, but we're still in a decent environment. And so you can generate favorable returns going forward, just not as good as we've seen in the past.
0: You know, there's been a lot of discussion about my generation, the millennial generation. What sort of impact are we having on real estate?
1: So I think millennials are having a big impact, particularly for big companies. Companies in general, as they think about where they locate and what kind of space they create. So if you think back 10, 20 years ago, company moves out to the suburbs, they, they have a suburban office campus, the only thing really to do is maybe go to the cafeteria in the basement, you know, you gotta drive a car there, it's not the most exciting environment. Today, Millennials are saying, no, I want to be in an urban environment. I want to be able to get a latte. I want to be able to ride my bike. I want to be able to work in a place that is much more open, floor plan, sort of cooler feel. And so you're seeing the companies react because they're fighting for talent. And G says, yes, I've been in suburban Connecticut for 50 years, but I'm moving to the seaport in Boston. McDonald's says, I've been in Oak Brook, Illinois, in the suburbs, but I'm moving to the west side of Chicago they're saying I need to go where the talent is and that impacts really changing things. So I think the millennials are having a big impact.
0: What does that mean for suburban America?
1: Well, it's creating some challenges. I mean, if you look, for instance, here in New York, if you went out to Northern New Jersey, the office market's 25% vacant. Now, if you went to Brooklyn, on the other hand, office market's less than 5% vacant. So it is creating impact in those areas. Um, It's it's affecting home prices a bit. Now, a lot of people cannot afford to live in urban areas, so there'll still be plenty of people in suburban areas. But at the margin, urban America is definitely having a good run here.
0: Do you think that means suburban America might have to change in a way to be more attractive to millennials?
1: I think that's what's gonna happen. And part of this is cost-related because we've seen in urban areas, San Francisco is a prime example, that rents go up really high. And yet there are places in suburban America where you're around a transportation node, where you see more density. I think you'll see zoning for taller buildings in those areas. People want to have a more walkable environment, a place they can ride a bike. So, yes, I think, as always, there's a yin and a yang here. And I think now, right now, urban America is doing quite well. I think you'll see more densification in the suburbs over time. Um, But it does feel like this is a long-term trend. We're not just seeing in the U.S., we're seeing it around the world.
0: What about technology? What sort of impact does technology have on real estate?
1: So it's interesting. You think about real estate and you say, gosh, this is a pretty boring business. Technology doesn't really matter. And I would say when we think about deploying capital, technology is the lead theme that's impacting our thought process today. What does that mean? Um, The share shift from land-based retail to online retail. If you think uh, of how you're buying things, you're buying much more online. As a result, as that grows, people need things less in stores and more directly in warehouse space. We've gone out in the last seven years, we've bought over 400 million square feet of warehouses in the United States, in Europe, across Asia, in Brazil, all with the idea of the share shifts going on, and it's leading to much more demand for warehouse space. So that's a big impact. Obviously, retail is... Hanging in there, but suffering as a result of this share shift. Other things I'd say technology is doing is it's creating the most jobs. So wherever technology and creative industries house, what you're seeing is more job creation. So west coast of the U.S., Seattle's booming, northern California, west Los Angeles, Austin, Texas, lower Manhattan, Boston, Cambridge. In Europe, I'd just add Stockholm, Amsterdam, uh, London's done quite well on this, Dublin... My favorite city today, Berlin, which is benefiting, again, where the kids want to go to a place that has music and art, uh, great restaurants, low-cost technology companies are showing up there. So for us, we're we're trying to anticipate where this technology is moving to and then deploy capital against that.
0: I want to go back to something you touched upon, retail and investing in warehouses. We keep hearing about, you know, retail bankruptcies and the demise of the American shopping mall. So what is the future of retail in the U.S.?
1: Well, I I think we're going to need a lot less space than we have today. But that doesn't mean that all physical shopping is going away. I think what will happen in shopping centers will change. You know, Apple does an enormous amount of business from their physical stores. So there's nothing wrong with physical real estate. It just doesn't need to be a place for storage. What you love about going to the Apple store is you can go to the Genius Bar and get help. Best Buy, I think, has done a very clever job providing much more service to their customers there. I think uh, you're going to see more experiential type of interactions. So if you think about Blue Mercury, you know, doing makeup for people and then they buy a product, more food and beverage, more offerings. The nature of what happens in the space, I think, changes. It's not about, here's a bunch of stuff that's stacked up. You know, it's more about delivering experiences. And I think a lot of retail is going to change. And some retail is obviously going to suffer more. And it will impact values. And it means there's a need for more capital. But there still will be shopping centers 10 and 20 years from now.
0: Well, moving beyond just retail, you recently built out a large U.S. housing platform. So what are your views on housing?
1: Yeah. So we're really, we have been and we continue to be really bullish on U.S. housing. And it's just based on math. If you go back over time, we need about a million five or six homes built in the U.S. to keep up with population growth, household formation. The last 12 months, we built 1.1 million. And we've been underbuilding housing now really since the crisis. So that's the reason why last month home prices were up 6% in the U.S. Um, We think it's positive for home prices and rents. The company we built, Invitation Homes, went out after the crisis, bought 50,000 homes, renovated them, leased them up, companies more than 95% occupied, took the company public, we merged it with another player, Starwood Waypoint. Now the companies, when they close the deal, will have more than 80,000 homes. But it's really a simple business based on providing great service to the underlying tenants and the fact that today there is just a shortage of housing, and we think that's very supportive for the future of these businesses.
0: Are you seeing any other trends in housing? Are people moving away from the big mansions to something smaller?
1: Anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I would say people really want to be, again, in areas where you're closer. Good schools are always very important. Where you're closer to commercial activity, again, I think the idea of the really far-out commute is getting less interesting. We tend to want to buy homes, and the homes we bought, were closer in either urban or suburban close in. We're seeing those trends um, that are continuing. And, and, but I would say overall, if somebody was listening in, you know, US housing would be a place I'd say, yeah, that's a good place to be invested the next few years.
0: You know, another area where you all are known is the hotel sector. We just had some big news um, from you all on Hilton. That's one of your uh, better known deals. So talk to us about that experience and what you've learned from that.
1: So uh, the news you referenced yesterday, we sold half of our remaining stake. We're down to just 5% of the company, which for me, I was uh, emailing with the CEO, Chris Nassetta, saying it was a bit bittersweet because we've been in this investment now uh, since 2007, so a decade. Um, The story has a good ending. It was a little rough early on. We did the deal 10 years ago uh, in late 07. Our timing was uh, suboptimal because shortly after the financial crisis came, we saw um, global revenues decline 20%, earnings go down 40%, and we wrote down our equity investment by more than 70% at the bottom. And it was the biggest investment we'd ever made. It obviously made you a bit nervous, concerned, uh, but we fundamentally believed in the business. Hilton is a great company, had these incredible brands, Hampton Inn, Hilton Garden, Embassy Suites, Doubletree, Conrad, Waldorf. And what we were saying was we just have to hang in there, that this cyclical downturn's not going to last forever. We fortunately had a great CEO in Chris Nassetta. We reinvested at the bottom, which is a scary thing to do. We put in another $800 million. And ultimately, the business recovered. The cycle turned. The business kept growing. It really expanded outside the United States, where historically it had a very small footprint. It had very fast growth. Today it's more than double the size of the business we bought. And the punchline is uh, we ended up today close to $14 billion of profits, the most profitable real estate private equity deal or private equity deal of all time. Wow! Had we given up early on, had we not had the right team, Uh, Had we sold out, frankly, too early when the sun came back out, it would have been a different story. But it was a case of a great business, a great management team, and some patient ownership, and it worked out all right.
0: It sounds like patience certainly pays off there. Yes. So how is the hotel business?
1: Well, today the hotel business is in a more mature part of its cycle. Um, There are a lot of concerns around things like Airbnb, which has impacted some of the urban markets. But if you look overall, hotels are at record levels of occupancies. Uh, revenues are still growing up 2 3%. Um, not as strong as they were three or four years ago when they were growing 6 7%. But the business is hanging in there. I'd say as long as the economy keeps growing and the fact that supply is not out of hand, the hotel business here in the U.S. should be fine.
0: How do they compete with Airbnb? Do they have to do something different now?
1: Well, I think... When you think about the Airbnb concept, which is a powerful business model, it really caters towards a leisure customer. Um, you know, if you're traveling on business, hard to get people to go and stay in somebody's home or apartment. Um, and, and it tends to be successful in very expensive markets like New York or London or Rio, where there are a lot of leisure travelers. Um, I think the hotel business will respond. Um, you know, Hilton has announced that it's going to move in with sort of a hostile concept, Uh, where it would be even smaller rooms and great public space. But I think delivering um, continuity in service, uh, making sure the product's good, which is really what hotel companies can do. When you go to a Hampton Inn, you know what to expect. I think that continues to be what customers want have breakfast, a place to work out, great Wi-Fi, I think the hotel business can continue to do quite well.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I do want to talk about some interesting real estate markets. You did mention some earlier. So again, what are the most interesting real estate markets right now?
1: Well, I would say geographically, the West Coast, I think is the most interesting because of that technology push. Um, I think Seattle in particular, Uh, because Amazon's there, uh, but a lot of tech companies are moving there because the cost is much lower than what we're seeing in Northern California. Um, Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is really home of tech, but even more so life sciences. We're one of the biggest landlords there, owning um, medical office, life science office buildings. There's a revolution happening in cancer research, immune therapy, and a place like Cambridge, Mass. is very interesting. Globally, I would say um, the tech-oriented cities of Europe I touched on. And in Asia, um, in India, again, tech-driven, a place like Bangalore, which most people may not have heard of, uh, but it's a place where you've got lots of talented engineers, sort of a Silicon Valley of India. Again, we're seeing rents grow very rapidly. So we want to see in this environment where is there interesting job creation and growth tends to be around tech. And it doesn't, you know, you can buy office buildings, you can buy apartments, you can buy warehouses. Being in the right geographies these days matters a lot.
0: Well, we have some interesting ideas. Anything that you're avoiding right now?
1: Well, I would say, um, and we touched on it, but uh, suburban office buildings, that's a tough business today because of the move to the cities. Um, I think assets that are more bond-like, So if you think about a long-term lease building for 20 years that may trade at a low yield, that's got flat income, if interest rates go up here, you don't have much of a place to hide. You wanna have something where the rents can reset. So if you think about apartments or hotels or even warehouses with shorter leases, you can capture that growth. Um, And then any place where there's just way too much building going on, um, we've seen it in places like New York City, hotels have been hurt. Houston, office buildings, those would be places I'd be cautious about.
0: John, I know that philanthropically you and your wife are very active, so what is it that interests you right now in the philanthropy space?
1: So we really have two main areas of focus. One is around uh, BRCA mutations. This is what Angelina Jolie has. It's a genetic mutation that you have that leads to a very high incidence of cancer, particularly for women. Uh, my wife lost her sister, Faith Bassar, uh, to ovarian cancer. Uh, when we were trying to understand the impact of this, we found it frustrating that there was no one place that was doing research, counseling families, collecting the data. And so we went out and said, God, it would be great if we created a central hub. We did that at the University of Pennsylvania. We called it the Basser Center, and it's focused all around this BRCA research, and the progress they're making these days is really great in giving a lot of families, I think, quite a bit of hope. The other area of focus is around education and opportunity for low-income kids in New York. Um, for my wife and I, the idea that our kids have all this opportunity and there are kids who live a mile away who have a low percentage chance of going to college, doesn't feel right to us. So we're supporting schools, we're providing health clinics out there, we're working with cultural institutions. The biggest thing we have today is we've set up a children's savings program with New York City, the mayor, as well as the Department of Education to set up savings accounts and encourage setting up 529 accounts so low-income families can start to save, think about aspiring for college. We're really excited about that. So one of the things in my position is I've been very fortunate. I understand the importance of giving back, but also there's a lot of joy that comes from that as well.
0: John Gray, head of real estate at Blackstone. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Yahoo Finance podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And be sure to follow us on Twitter and find us on Facebook.